Please stand for the reading of God's word. In 2 Corinthians 5, verses 10 through 21, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are trying to give you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Please be seated. All right. Well, I thought I'd make things super awkward this morning. We're going to start by talking about money. Finances. I heard a little, oh. Um, and you're, if you look in your bulletin, you'd be like, wait, we're talking about relationships? Like, I thought we were talking about that. And Hold on, we'll get there. Don't worry. So after, shortly after Courtney and I got married, and we were, you know, merging money and bank accounts and had to start to pay for things together, we decided that it might be a good idea if we learned how to budget t- together. So we took a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University class and walked through some of the basics of his class for money and budgeting and all of that kind of stuff. And one of the best things we got out of it was we found this online website called, appropriately, You Need a Budget. And on this website, you can put in all your banking information, it pulls in all your statements, and you can type in things that you put on the credit card, and kind of like an online checkbook, if you will. And one of the features of the website is up in the upper right-hand corner, there's this big button, and it says Reconcile. And what that button does when you push it is it takes all the things that you've written in, matches it up with what your bank statement it says, and if everything matches up, you get the green light. Way to go. You matched everything up. Everything's balanced. Your accounts are reconciled. But sometimes it'll give you a red light. Something's wrong. These aren't balancing out. There's something that doesn't match. 
And then I have to scroll through all the accounts and start looking for things that might not match. If you had, you know, bouncing paper in your checkbook in the past, I'm sure you ran into that from time to time. We had to go back a little bit and figure things out to make sure they matched up. If it's not reconciled, you have to go find what's wrong because I can't fully trust what the, the app is telling me with what the bank is telling me. I need them to match. I need them to balance out. And in relationships, I think we have the same thing. While we don't have a fancy reconciled button that will tell us where the problem is and something needs to happen, but our relationships can get out of balance sometimes. Where there's something missing on the accounts that we need to find, to fix. That we need to reconcile with the relationships that we're in. But what about forgiveness? We're talking about reconciliation and forgiveness. Has anybody here ever had a debt forgiven? Just lift it off your shoulders. One of my first vehicles, I had a Nissan Frontier truck that my parents had helped me buy, and they had got the loan from the bank because I didn't have the best credit at that point. They said, we'll get the loan, you just pay us, and whatever. And said, Great. Well, then one day, my mom came up to me, and she's like, you know what, you're done, don't worry about it. It's all been taken care of. I'm like, well, I don't have to pay anymore. She's like, no, no, you're good, you paid enough. What? The debt was like lifted off of my shoulders, and it have to be responsible for it. It was forgiven. And we have the same thing. If there's a debt forgiven or if somebody forgives us in relationships, it's like a weight being lifted. We don't have to worry about it anymore. It's not a burden to us. So today we're going to talk about this reconciliation and forgiveness and explore through these verses that Paul gives us and gives to this church in Corinth and 2 Corinthians. And we're not going to be talking about finances, but there may be more financial illustrations later. But of course, relationships. And I think what we'll need to see today is we will need to identify when something happens, when something throws the relationship out of balance, when reconciliation is needed. That could be something small, could be something big, but we need to first and foremost determine what that thing is. We need to judge that thing accordingly. And reconciliation requires action on both parties, some agreement to bring things back into balance. And ultimately, we can hope for forgiveness, which will lift the burden and make that reconciliation much easier. The foundational truth that I would love for you all to walk away with is simply this, that followers of Christ must realize that all will be judged, all will be reconciled, and through Christ, forgiveness is given. And in response, we must offer glimpses of that reality in our own lives. I'll read that again. The foundational truth is this, that followers of Christ must realize that all will be judged. All will be reconciled through Christ and forgiveness will be given. In response, we must offer glimpses of that reality in our own lives. Now a little bit of a warning up front. At the end of this message, I will show a video clip. And in this video clip, there are some strong emotions. There's actually some violence. There's no gore. There's no blood. But there's some violence that takes place. Um, So if you think that might be too strong for you, I'll give you fair warning before it comes up. And no judgment if you decide to walk out, step out for a second. But just know that that is coming. 
All right, so let's dig into these verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to kind of walk through it a bit as I go through the sermon today. Uh, Chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. And these ones are provided for you in the bulletin as well, or you can follow along in your Bible. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We're going to begin with this idea of judgment. Yay! Judgment and fear. Why do we have to start here? Well, because the biblical story actually starts here. In the beginning, God created a good and beautiful world. He put good and beautiful creatures in it, it says, and he created good and beautiful people to care for it and to keep the goodness and the beautiful going. But people decided, Adam and Eve decided to determine for themselves what was good and what was bad. And rather than following what God had said was good to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They decided that, yeah, that tree looks good. It's pleasing to the eye. I'm going to eat it. And they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And honestly, since then, we haven't stopped determining for ourselves what is good and what is bad. Just continue to read through the stories of Scripture. Moses. Abraham. David, read through the book of Judges. It's a constant cycle of people determining for themselves what is good, walking away from God and not following the path that he set before them. And the ultimate determination, the foundation of what is good and what is bad is God. And Paul tells us in these verses that one day we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and have to give account for what we have done whether good or bad. We were helping the kids clean their room recently at one point, and we were digging around, finding stuff that needed to be put away, and we started to pull candy wrappers out from under their bed. We're like, wait, 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 wait. What's this? Where did this come from? And then we found a box that just had a bunch of junk in it. And we realized that when we had asked them to go clean their room before, that they would just put things in this box and shove it under the bed. What? This belongs over there. Sean's what you know, Sean? Feeling it. As soon as we pulled those things out, they knew they were busted. Judgment had been brought, if you will, what they thought they were doing and what was going to be hidden suddenly became apparent and we as parents had to judge the actions that they took. The prophet Isaiah has this experience with God in chapter 6 of his book. He has a vision where he's entering the throne room of God and it says the train of God's robe filled the temple and at the sound of his voice and the sound of the angels, the temple and the doorpost shook. This image of God's glory and being in the presence. We sang about it earlier with Dan about the song from Revelation and the angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
And Isaiah, when he has this vision and he comes before the Lord, <clears throat> he only has, he has one response. And in verse 5 of chapter 6, he says, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah assumes because he's in the throne room of God and he's amidst all of God's glory that he is about to be judged. I am ruined, he says. He thinks he's going to die. He thinks God's going to kill him because he can't be that close to God's glory, to God's presence, because I'm a man of unclean lips, he says, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. The reality is that we must know what has been judged and accounted for before we can even begin to address what must be reconciled with and what can be forgiven. In light of God's glory and power and all that God has done for us, when we truly encounter that, we should have no other response than to fall on our knees, knowing that we don't measure up, knowing that we have continued to determine for ourselves what is good and what is bad and not followed what God had said is good and is bad. The weight and value of any reconciliation and forgiveness cannot be unknown, cannot be known without judgment first. We have to know what the debt is. We have to know what's wrong. We have to know where something's missing if we're going to try to fix it. N.T. Wright says about this experience, he says, we know the fear of the Lord, not a cringing terror before an uncaring despot, but awe and inadequacy before the incarnate Lord of all. Awe and inadequacy. It's God's glory and his beauty, but we know we're not enough. We know we shouldn't be there. First line of the foundational truth, as followers of Christ, we must realize that we will all be judged. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Paul continues in verse 14 of chapter 5. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And I'm a bit of a tech nerd. I like computers. I like building computers, I like fixing computers sometimes. And one of the biggest secrets in all of the technological tech nerd world, if there is a problem with your computer, with your device, whatever it is, turn it off, turn it back on again. Computer's frozen, mouse not moving, turn it off, turn it back on again. iPhone not working, those calls aren't going out, email's not working, turn it off. Turn it back on again. I also love naps. Naps are kind of a like personal way to turn it off, turn it back on again, right? Things are overwhelmed. I got applause on that one, all right? Feels good 
wake up refreshed or even just having a good night's sleep. Waking up to a new day, turn it off, turn it back on again. New day, fresh start, new creation is what Paul calls it in these verses. Now, turning off and turning back on again doesn't negate all the bad stuff that happened before. You wake up from a nap, you wake up the next day, you'll probably still have memories of what happened before. Whatever was troubling you, whatever was causing you anxiety. But when you get some rest and you wake up, you have some new eyes to be able to see, wow, I can take these steps now. I have a new path forward. I have a new day to take on whatever the challenges are. We have the clarity to start to move forward without being stuck in the past. I also love the example of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. I was asked to attend a meeting for one of my seminary classes. And if you're familiar with some of the verbiage of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know most meetings begin with somebody stepping up to the podium and they say, Hi, my name is Greg and I'm an alcoholic. And then the audience responds with, Hello, Greg. Now think about that for a second. I have come up and said, My name is Greg and I'm an alcoholic. I've laid out judgment. I've laid out what I am, what I'm here for, what my problem is. But your response was, Hi, Greg. You just saw me for me. What I did, what I brought to the table, what was wrong with me was not part of my identity in that moment. And then from that place, that reset, if you will, I can now move forward in recovery. It's a new creation again. Since the beginning, since we talked about the very first sin where people chose to walk away from God, to walk out of step with his design, God continues to come looking, regardless of what people have done. After Adam and Eve ate the fruit, God returned to the garden and asked, where are you? When Cain was struggling with his Sacrifice not being given the same favor as Abel. God came to Cain and said, Cain, sin is crouching at your door, but you are able to master it. Every time people walked away from God, God showed up again and again. He did not abandon his people. He did not abandon his creation. But he showed up again. Hi, Adam. Hi, Moses. Let's keep this thing going. God continues to come to try to reconcile and be in relationship with his creation. I've talked about this book that we've been reading on session and staff before, this rare leadership. And the first R in the acronym rare is to remain relational. And that's what God has been continuing to do. He remains relational. He keeps asking questions. He keeps being involved. He doesn't step back doesn't give humanity the silent treatment. doesn't go into the room and lock the door. But he keeps coming out to keep the relationship going, to keep the conversation going. No matter how much people sin and screw up, God continues to show up. To show up so much that eventually he will come down in the person of Jesus to be amongst the creation. And like Paul writes to the church in Philippi in the book of Philippians, that Jesus will experience death, even death on a cross 
that that's where God will go to try to reconcile his relationship with his creation, to death and even death on a cross. And because of that, Paul says that God then no longer counts people's sins against them. Counting. Here's another financial analogy. You want to pay for something, you got to make sure you got enough money in your pocket, in your bank account, to pay for it first. God was realizing that the scales of good and bad have been tipped so far out of balance with us that there was no way we as individuals were going to be able to reconcile those accounts. There was no way we were going to be able to bring things back into balance. God had to reset the scales. God had to lift the burden that was on all of our backs through Jesus Christ in order that we could be in right relationship with him. N.T. Wright says about this that forgiveness does not mean moral indifference. Because forgiveness doesn't mean that something bad happened. doesn't mean we just wipe it all away, that we don't forget it. He says we mustn't mistake forgiveness for mere tolerance. God doesn't tolerate evil. He hates it. He will not allow it in his new creation. But the lifting of a burden allows us to step into a relationship that we feel like we could never return to. It gives us the freedom to be in back in right relationship with God. Go back to the image of Isaiah again, standing before the throne, and as he thinks he's about to die and God is going to consume him, the verse continues with this image. It says, Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live pole in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs of the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. The problem that Isaiah thought he had, that God was going to consume him for, God took care of. God restored the relationship. In light of God's glory and God's power, all that God has done for us, when we encounter that, we should have no response other than falling on our knees because we don't measure up. But when we fall on our knees, that's when we get to experience the reconciling nature of God, like Isaiah did. And that's been true since the beginning. Followers of Christ must realize that all will be judged, but all will be reconciled, and through Christ, forgiveness is given. Because of this reconciliation between us and God, Paul continues in verse 21 of chapter 5. He says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. If you find yourself in any kind of relationship here on earth, family, friend, co-worker, otherwise, Surprise, it'll be hard. There will be conflict. There will be problems. Issues will come up, some small, some big. So we will be regularly presented with opportunities for reconciliation and forgiveness. We will be regularly presented with opportunities to act like God has acted towards us. To work to remain relational with other people to work to lift burdens and to offer 
forgiveness. If you read through the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, this is what Paul is trying to do with this church in Corinth. There's been issues. They've accused Paul of all sorts of things. And Paul keeps writing letters to them explaining what he's doing, why he's up to what he's up to, how God has worked in his life, and he wants to be reconciled with this church. That's why we get to this point here in this chapter. Because of what has been reconciled with us and forgiven in our own lives, we're, off, we're free to offer that to other people. And when we offer reconciliation and forgiveness to others, we offer an opportunity to meet that other R in the rare relationship acronym, which is return to joy. It's real easy for us to return to despair. We can get anxious and worried and all sorts of things, and if there's a fray in a relationship, you can have all sorts of conversations with people in your head about how that conversation might go. But when reconciliation and forgiveness enter the picture, we short-circuit the return to despair, and instead we provide ways for people to return to joy. Because it's real in our lives. When we've been forgiven of much, we can offer that to other people we come in contact with. If we've laid everything down at the feet of Jesus and declared him Lord, beginning our first steps into the new creation, we should be able to do that for others. And the shorter we can keep our accounts with other people, the better. The easier it is to find the issue rather than scroll to the very bottom of the bank statement to find the huge issue that's been causing the problem. Because the shorter it is, the easier it is to mend. The longer you let things go on, the harder it gets. Followers of Christ must realize that we will all be judged. All will be reconciled through Christ and forgiveness is given. But in response, we must offer glimpses of that reality in our own lives. Now, it's easy to talk about all these things in kind of the thousand-foot view and talk about ideas and concepts, but to actually put some meat on the bones of this concept of forgiveness and reconciliation, I want to take your mind back to the year 1994, to the country of Rwanda in Africa. In 1994, the country of Rwanda was split in two by a genocide. There were two groups of people, the Hutus and the Tutsis. And the Hutus would put out radio broadcasts calling the Tutsis cockroaches. And that they shouldn't be in our country. They shouldn't be part of our people. They're making it worse. We should push them out. We should kill them. During the 1994 genocide in Rwanda, up to one million people were killed. And as many as 250,000 women were raped. How do you as a country recover from that level of trauma? From that level of anger and hatred? Those accounts were way out of balance. So as a country, they decided on a path toward reconciliation and forgiveness and peace. And one of the ways they did it is they brought these courts together, these local courts, called gachachas. And in it, they had elected judges and the community would gather and people who were accused of perpetrating violence in that community could be brought forward to meet their accusers. 
to meet the family members or friends of those who they had killed and hurt. And if they confessed, if they were truly repentant, if they wanted to reintegrate back into society and it was honest, they were offered lesser sentences, they were offered community service, and if the person facing their accuser chose, they could offer them pardon, full forgiveness for whatever they've done. They served to, these courts served to promote reconciliation by providing a means for victims to learn the truth, for judgment to be given, yes, about what happened to their family members and relatives, but they were also given the opportunity for reconciliation, for repentance, and for forgiveness. Now here's where that video clip is coming. The video clip comes from a movie called Kenya Rwanda, and Courtney and I got to watch it when we got to attend the Sundance Film Festival. It's a dramatic retelling of some based-on-real events that happened during this time. All the actors in it are Rwandans. The director and all the people behind the scenes are Rwandans. So it was their goal and attempt to tell their story of what happened. And what you'll see is what happens in one of those trials is somebody is confessing about their crimes and then what gets offered to them after. So let's watch that. Emmanuel. Nabwo Kuko muri kiriya gihe nafashe ikemezo kigayitse mpemukira urwanda. Sabye mbabaze. Bashaje umuntu yanje. Ndashaka kubukoga wawe nyenze. Ushaka kuvuga ucyo umuntu yanje. Tukajunga ngo ucyo umuntu yanje. Ninja wish I would give you Mukoga. Ninja wish I would give you Mukoga. Sahurimitungo Yabo Bikwe Kumutima Musabjimbabazi Kandimum Haimbabazi Imbaragazaninazazi Koresha Kujirango Nishurijonanjije Kandinga Koresh Imbaragazanje Kujirango Moreji Huguchanje Gose Umbabari Nifuza kongera kukubera umuturanyi nifuza 
kongera kubera umuturanyi mwiza ngusabye imbabazi mbikuye ku mutima rwose mbabarira bikuye ku mutima wanje muhaye imbabazi uzaba inshuti yanjye uko ariyo kuri mama na papa kandi nzakuba Can you imagine what I love about the clip is that you feel the weight of what she's going through this isn't easy for her the forgiveness isn't offered lightly it doesn't eliminate the pain that she's felt but it allows for the relationship between her and this man Emmanuel to be restored the words that they used he seeks reconciliation by saying i will use my strength to repay all that i destroyed i will use my strength to work for my country and if you forgive me i wish to be your neighbor again i wish to be a good neighbor to you again can you imagine living next door to somebody who did that to your parents but she lifts the weight off of his shoulder. She offers him forgiveness and pardon when she says, "You will be a friend to me as you were once to my mother and father. And I will respect you." Think back to the AA. "Hi, I'm Greg. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, I'm Emmanuel. I murdered your mom and dad." She looks him back in the eyes and says, Hi, Emmanuel. Today, after service, we're going to have an opportunity to be prayed for in the prayer room over there. we got our prayer team available. And today, you might need an opportunity to be reconciled with God, like Paul asks in these verses. Maybe you have some people in your life you need to seek reconciliation with. Our prayer team would love to help you in that and to pray you through that. But ultimately, I want you to walk away again with this foundational truth that followers of Christ must realize that all will be judged, all will be reconciled, and through Christ, forgiveness is given. And in response, we must offer glimpses of that reality in our own lives. All the poor and powerless all the lost and lonely All the thieves will come confess And know that you are holy
and know that you are holy and all will sing out high 